We got the truth. We got the truth. We got the truth. A small business. We got the truth. We got the truth. Oh, yeah. We got the big truths. A small business. Sponsored by Yes, I Rent. Yes, I Rent. Yes, I Rent. Property Management. Place good tents and collect your rent. Maintain your properties and account for it. Truth. We got the truth. We got the truths. We got the big truths. A small business sponsored by SIREN. Welcome to the big truths of small business. Your host, Joe Watkins, co-host, Travis Castle. And we are here with a special guest. Mr. Dan Arsenault, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. <clears throat> we have a show here uh, that is, we're calling Your Truth, My Truth, Are You an Apologist for Your Business? I like it. And it's with Dan Arsenault because he is actually an apologist for the Christian faith, and we'll talk more about that. But I want to introduce Dan. Give a little background to him so you know why he's here. And then Travis is going to come in and tie all this to the big truths of small business. It's, guys, it's been about eight weeks since we've been on the show. We're a little rusty. So if, we, if, we, if you see the rust, give us a little, you know, give us a little grace here. So Dan, uh, he is an apologist and his, his apologetic uh, sort of uh, ministry is called Church for the Skeptics. And uh, he'll talk more about that later, but I'll give you a rundown. He's a valedictorian of his high school graduation. Man, that's very impressive. That's, that is cool. Back from Burkmar High School in '68, that gives you his age. There were three graduates. <laughs> <laughs> his undergraduate degree from Oglethorpe University is in history and political science. He has a master's degree from Vanderbilt in philosophy, and that sort of uh, got him shaking a little bit for, for kind of what he's doing now. Master's degree in apologetics from Birmingham Theological Seminary. And Dan has defended the claims of Christ, which is really what uh, apologetics is uh, in the United States, Germany, Iceland, Austria, Spain, Norway, Italy, Romania, Cyprus, Chile, Canada, and so on. And so uh, he comes to us as a a master of truth of the Christian faith. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to, we're going to use some of that and pull it into how we can use that in, in, in our small business. And so before I turn it over to Travis, I'm just going to define what an apologist is as, as a whole. It's a person who makes a defense in speech or writing of a belief or idea or et cetera. So you, you're defending something fervently. So that that's, that's apologetics. Travis, are welcome you, to the show. Are, are, are you? It's been eight weeks. I feel like there should be a bit of an introduction of me, so I'll go ahead and take <laughs> care of that. I graduated 283rd in my class of 300 at Riverdale High School. Um, Dan is everything I wanted to be in terms of his resume and his education. Uh, but, you know, it's good to know there's the Dans of the world out there that are in our camp, Joe. That's right. That's, that's, that's what's that's good right. to know. So today, what we're discussing, this is the big truths of small business. And so truths being what we discuss every, every time we get on the show is some different version of the truth. I mean, we, we're espousing what uh, we believe to be true, what we believe the truth is. And quite possibly, Dan, what we want to discuss with you today is, is just that. And, and maybe we'll just open it up with this in, in terms of the truth. How do we, because you stand in front of people, I guess, you, you have probably participated, I guess, in debates, or you've certainly spoken to groups, and really the foundation of what you're saying is, I know the truth, and the reason I'm here today is I'm here to tell you what the truth is. So let's start out with, how, how do you get there? What are the fundamentals of recognizing what the truth is? Well, let me say, first of all, that every person in the world does what I'm doing, Every person in the world, if they make a statement, is saying, I believe this is the truth. Um, and they have, they can't not, they can't not make conversation without, even if they say there is no such thing as truth. Well, what's the answer? What's the question? Is that true? 
mm. and they think it is true sure. or, or they wouldn't have made the statement. So there's some things that just sound semantically like, Oh, maybe there's no real truth out there. Maybe it's all relative, but nobody can live that way That's right. because, and the, the fact that nobody can live that way, I say use the word fact means that there has to be something as true, something that we call truth because it does exist and you can't live without it. You can't live without, you can be wrong about it, of course, but you can't live without it. Um, so in your question, it would be, how do we access that truth? I guess. And that, that's, uh, of course the field of what we call epistemology and we're not perfect at it, obviously. Um, but we do have access to truth. Now I would say as a Christian apologist, they're only the only real reason that we do have access to truth, let me let me make another statement here. We we talk about truth like like Pontius Pilate. What is truth? You know, like it. What do, what do we even mean when we say truth? Let's call it reality. Mm. What's real? What what's actual? Mm-hmm. Um, Aristotle would call it uh, being actual. What is what is real? What is what we call what's actually there? And we use that word a lot, don't we? Is that mm. actually is that actually you actually coming? Um, so. That access, I think, can only be defended because of God. Because if we are, if we are just matter, we're just atoms, think about it. Do atoms itself, do, do, do molecules and DNA and uh, atoms matter stuff, does that have any truth? Does it know anything? Does, does, do atoms know anything? Well, no, they don't. So that means there must be an immaterial aspect of our, our human lives that, to say, even entertain the idea of knowing something, of having, having information in our minds. Whether it's right or wrong is, is, of course, another issue. But the fact that we entertain those ideas, I think it has to mean that we are more than atoms. We are not just a, a pack of atoms, as some materialists have said. So I would say we, the reason we have access to truth is God. Um, and everybody lives as if there is a God because everybody thinks they have truth. You know, and the very fact they think it, there's another aspect of it. It's not, uh, uh, how much does a thought weigh? If everything's just atoms and, and molecules, then everything has weight and it takes up space. Well, how much does a thought weigh? So, so let me ask you this, since, since we would say that you're, if we're going to compare this to small business, you're in the, the, the business of, of defending the Bible and what it says and yeah. defending Christ. Yeah. Give me a, 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 a brief summary about how you were led down the road to call the Bible the truth. Okay. And I think that process might be a process by which we all could use and apply it to many other ways that we discover truth. Yeah, that's a great, that's an awesome question. You know, and I, of course I look back, uh, when I was studying philosophy, I took a class on logic. Well, logic itself is immutable. We might get it wrong, but logic itself, one and one equals two is immutable. It's, 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 it's truth itself. It's what reality is. But there are rules by which we access and manipulate that logic. And we come to the conclusions based on the evidence that we have, the data that we have, and, and the, the logic of uh, comparing that data and investigating that data and coming to conclusions about that data. That's logic. Well, when I was an atheist, I, uh, I disbelieved in the existence of God because I thought there could not possibly be a good, loving, omnipotent, omniscient God because there was way too much suffering and evil in the world. So how could there, I mean, life is terrible. The world is terrible. You know, um, now I didn't have a terrible life at that point, but I, you know, I was sensitive to the, to the world around me and it's hasn't gotten much better for sure. Right. So how can you have a loving God? But my problem was logic. Once I, once I started under entertaining logic here, a form of epistemology, I realized that you cannot embrace 
suffering and evil, you can embrace suffering, but you cannot embrace the reality of evil without God. In other words, what does it mean to say something is evil? It means that that something should not have happened or something should have happened that didn't happen. That's evil. It's what should be. There's that whole telos is what you'd say, which means a purpose. There's something that should have happened that shouldn't have happened or something that, that you know, vice versa. Well, if there's, if, if there's no God, then there is no purpose to the universe. If there is no God, there's no such thing as good, what should be, and evil, what shouldn't be. It's just whatever is, is. If, if, back to the materialism idea. If, if matter is all there is, then there is no should about it, or should not. It's just whatever is, is. We might like it or not like it, but as far as saying it's right or wrong... Because that brings morality into the, into the equation. Exactly so. Exactly so. It's the moral argument. And I think I either had to, uh, I either had to divorce the idea of good and evil, but that was my argument against God. But if I embrace good and evil, I have to embrace the, the existence of God. And so in that sense, just the, the logic of it changed my mind about it. Uh, and I think that's a good thing that uh, that we have a, have the ability. Why would we have the ability to draw those conclusions? Um, and so once I once I did that, once I got that far, it was a that, matter that sort of, of opened the door to go. Okay, I should I need I at least need to investigate this. Yeah, yeah. If there's a God, which one? <laughs> kind of a thing. Right. And I did some of that too, and uh, landed. Of course, Christianity was the last man standing. Uh, and investigating all religions of the world, not maybe all, but the major religions of the world at least. Um, and there again, you do the same thing. You have data, information, evidence. I think of it like this. Think about the requirements for every worldview. Every, everybody has a worldview, even if they don't define it. You know, Atheists, I had a worldview. Uh, materialists have a worldview. Postmoderns have a worldview. Every worldview has some relevant acquirements. Like if you want to enter, if I want to entertain what you're thinking, there 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 should be some requirements. That number one would be correspondence. If and when I say correspondence, let's go back to the idea of truth. There is a correspondence theory of truth, which means truth is what corresponds to reality. It's what's actual, and everybody knows that. We don't think in those terms that much. But everybody talks that way. Um, they can't help but talk that way because that's what reality is. So every worldview should correspond to our living experience in some way. We don't want to explain away our lives. We want to explain our lives. So that's the first requirement, I think. The second one would be coherence. Truth itself cannot possibly be self-contradicting. Um, if I say as a postmodern, let's say, if I say as a postmodern philosophy, every truth is nothing but a grab for power. If you say something's true, it just means you're grabbing for power. Okay. What about me then? What about what I just said? If I'm just a, uh, if my truth claim is also nothing but a power, grab for power, then why should anybody, then you have nothing. Yeah. Then I have nothing. Why should mm. entertain it? So to have a worldview that is relevant to me, it has to be um, coherent. And then the other thing is it has to be livable. Um, and, the, and here's my, one of my great, uh, uh, it's not mine actually, I should give credit to somebody who, who wrote a great book about this called Finding Truth by Nancy Piercy. Um, if, if what I believe cannot possibly be lived out, it's not relevant. Uh, if somebody says, I'm nothing but a pack of atoms, and neither are my children, they're nothing but a pack of atoms. If I'm nothing but a pack of atoms, think about this, I have no free will. Everything is determined by natural physical causes. So I have no free will. I don't make choices. I can't live that way, though. You see, I can't possibly live by the way. Right. Um, so... To be relevant, I think, as a worldview, you have to have livability. And then the final thing would be, there ought to be some evidence for it, some data. And uh, that's where I think, you know, as I said, Christianity is the last man standing. Now, there, there's more to it than that, of course. There is the realization of needing forgiveness. But then we go back to the moral argument. 
if there is such a thing as objective morality, and I've missed the target, which is what sin means, missing the target, Jesus is the only person who has paid for my sin. Nobody else makes that offer. So why would, why would, that, why would people think, well, that's so exclusive, you know, to be a Christian is so exclusive. Why should I, why should I think it's ex- just exclusive to take an offer that only Jesus gives? Nobody else offers that. And, of course, you have the data and the evidence and the logic and the whole nine yards for it. Um, there's just no good reason for me it, it, to have not to have rejected it, you know. So um, that's how I came to the faith, and so I wanted to share that. Um, and as I saw, I think Christianity in general has a weakness for doing that hard work, for being apologist, which is just like an attorney. That's what they used to call attorneys apologists because they're making the case, defending or presenting a case for something. And so um, I just felt like that was the direction I needed to go. Well, we named the podcast, you know, Are You an Apologist for Your Business? Yeah, I like that. And, and I think that's what makes this relevant is what, what does that really mean? Well, I think, I think you have to kind of dig into your business a little bit, Travis, and, and, and reveal inside of it what is true and what you – and you say this all the time. We had a, a show called <clears> – <throat> A beautiful business. Don't, don't start picking on me. I, I've been quiet. I've listened. I, I, and, I'm, I'm just I'm agreeing with you from a previous uh, show. Uh, well, please keep continuing. Tra- Travis, Travis said you, you, it's really hard to get excited about a business that's not beautiful. There's not, which means there's there's in, in short there's there's things that 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 are intriguing, exciting that we do very well in that we we have something we really can present to the public that we're proud about i mean there's all kinds of things that that are built on that maybe even has a positive influence on people um you weren't a beautiful business and uh so that is really how you maybe can become an apologist for your business right as you if it's a beautiful business the way we define on that show that might be a way to be an apologist well i mean i think in terms of business the companies that are the best apologists, meaning they make the best case on why you should do business with them, are also correspondingly the most successful companies. And so I think it's hard to find a, a successful company and not find beauty in that company. We were discussing before we got on air here the, the difference between Blockbuster and Netflix, right? We all have Netflix accounts. and uh, Is Blockbuster still open? Blockbuster. There's actually one. The documentary, which, by the way, isn't like a great documentary. I want to say that, but it's about the final. There is one blockbuster that's still open somewhere in the West. And Hanging on in the middle of nowhere. They don't, they don't have internet it, there. It looks just like blockbuster video that you remember. <laughs> but, you know, there, there came, and, and I think that was a beautiful business for, for some time. I mean, I do think there were, you know, date night was uh, pizza and blockbuster, right? We're going to go go shop for a movie, you know. But, but at some point, they ignored the truth. At some, at some point, there was evidence, as uh, Dan is mentioning, there's actual data that's showing there's real evidence that there's new competitors, that times have changed, and that uh, the, the people that visit Blockbuster are, are changing their preferences and how they see a movie. And, and that was ignored, right? So they, they ignored that truth. But uh, the, the more beautiful business, I would argue, and if, if, if we get a little bit into Dan's world, the more, here we go, here we go. The more godlike business, right? Because when we say beautiful, our reference point, Dan, right, for beauty ultimately is found in, in God. And, and, and so the, the closer we get to that aspect of our business, the more beautiful business wins, basically. In, in a selfish fashion, I want the most beautiful. I want a more beautiful property management company than my comp- competitors because the public is attracted to that. And I'm attracted to actually participating in that. So in the pre-show, we were talking uh, a little bit about, and, and, and Randy Dodd, who's been on the show before, was asking the question, can, can truth change? And he, asked, he posed a, a question or two, and, and what that led you to, to go to is, is go one surface level deeper, or two surface level deeper, and say, well, no, no s- something may have changed, but the, the, but the, but the behind-the-scenes truth hasn't changed. So let's talk about Blockbuster and Netflix, just as an example. Um, it, Blockbuster was a beautiful business that at some point forgot what business they were in. They weren't in the video in the store business 
although that's what they thought they were in when they told Netflix no, when Netflix came to them and said, hey, let's do business together. This is where the future is. Blockbuster thought we were in the, hey, people love coming to our stores and grabbing the videos and grabbing the popcorn and grabbing the candy. This is like the movie outside the movie. And, and what Netflix knew was you're actually not in that business. You're actually in the entertainment business and entertainment can change the way it looks, right? Just like in the sixties, the music was different than now. Even the venues look different, you know, it's still entertainment, but, but how we consume entertainment based on the new consumer has changed. That's the actual business we're in. That was the real truth that Blockbuster failed to see. Well, Blockbuster is a big name and Netflix is a big name, but within their business, you had companies that made VHS tapes. So if you have built a multi-million dollar manufacturing facility, you have, and I think this goes back to some of our shows. Um, we a, talked about that. A, a natural bias built in. I mean, I watched this happen in, uh, in the mortgage business. In a previous life, I was in the mortgage business. And I'm telling you this, right up until absolute catastrophe, no one in our business, there was no one predicting what happened because it couldn't happen. Right? I mean, that'll change our way of life if that happens. So all the, all the data can't possibly be true yet i forget the guy's name and there's documentaries done on a particular investor that went full board into the collapse of the mortgage industry because uh, you listen to him talk about it today and he gives you all the facts he gives you all the reasons so it was a very reasoned opinion it wasn't a speculative bet for him to uh to bet against the the mortgage industry back then so no i think your bias generally is built into what you are willing to allow to be a well, fact. And, and Blockbuster had that. I think that's, and I think that relates back to the small businesses. Blockbuster had a significant investment in brick and mortar businesses across America. That's what their investment was. Right. I mean, to, 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 to redo that in their mind was, was, was completely changing the business model. And it was, but they're still in the entertainment business. And, and that's uh. And what's the market uh, cap on the? Uh, it was two hundred market cap on Netflix today that was passed down, passed off by Blockbuster as a no, nah, that's not going to work. Two hundred thirty-eight billion dollars. Oh, be yeah. <laughs> yeah. So ignoring truth can have a price tag, and uh, and all in in your eternity certainly, primarily, but also in your in your business world, it can have a price tag. Yep. So go on, this is interesting. I want to bring this in. It's a Declaration of Independence. This is in the very early paragraphs of the Declaration. And this, uh, this sort of, uh, we're, I want to lean a little bit further down into a baseline by which we reveal truth. Because I think we named the show Your Truth, My Truth, because, I don't know, people are espousing all types of things as to be true these days. You know, examples are, um, I have a, a boy genitalia, but no, I, I'm really a girl. Well, identify yourself however you want to, but you, you are actually a boy in, in, in all ways and shapes and forms of, of, of what we define a boy to be. And so, and, and that's just a, obviously extreme example, but Im imagine all the examples that, that go below that. And so the Declaration of Independence sort of, I don't know, affirmed that there was something outside of ourselves as a baseline. And this is what it says. And this is in 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That was in 1776, Dan. What do you, what do you make of that? Well, they had a reference point. That reference point being, I think not just, uh, I think logically you could come to those conclusions, but of course they had their reference point at that point was Scripture. or made in the image of God according to Genesis 1.26. And... Uh, there's, I don't know of any other, maybe Judaism and Christianity, the Judeo-Christian ethic, I don't know that there's any other worldview that endorses that, embraces that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll give you a, 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 here's a good thing. There is a United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. 
And uh, when I was uh, doing some teaching at the University of Alabama, um, they have that at the student uh, student center writ large. And, it, and it's a good document. There's nothing wrong really with the document except the fact that there is no reference point for those human rights. They just affirm them. This is this we we want if everybody treats each other with those that the kind of dignity that we would assume is reality about those human rights, then we'd have a great world, you know. And of course we agree with that. But what's why should we? What's the reference point for that? The the founders of the declaration had a reference point. God and scripture. So they that was the unchanging truth that you mentioned earlier. Think of it like this. Uh, everybody's had this experience. You pull up to a red light and the guy next to you in the lane next to you, you look over at his car and you look at your car and suddenly you feel like you're so you're moving backwards. You're drifting. Well, what do you do? You hit the brake, of course. And then you look over at him again because you know you hit the brake, but it feels still feels like you're drifting backwards. You have to get a reference point. So you want to look at a building or a tree or something that you know is unchanging. Mm. What if the building's moving too? What if the tree's moving too? There is no reference point. You feel like you're floating in space. There is no up, no down, no left, no right, no northwest, east, south. Um, There's no reference point. So you have to have a reference point for truth itself, I think. Um, and think about this. I mean, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Uh, no man comes unto the father except by me. And that sounds so arrogant, except for the, for the, if it's, if he's true, if it's true, if it's actual, if it corresponds to reality, then it just, in that case, it is what it is. Uh, it is what truth is, but you have to have a reference point. If there's no reference, if all truth is relative and there's no reference point, then truth doesn't even mean anything. Yeah, no question. It, it is the the problem of our day. It is. Is the social media has elevated anybody who has enough passion to to say they 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 have something they want to say, and they get ten thousand likes. They now have become a truth teller. I mean. We may call him a celebrity. We may call him this guy's wise or whatever we may say about it. We, we some, at the end of the day, we're saying this guy's telling truth, but it may not be so. And it's confused. It's very confusing to people who, who don't have some fundamental baseline truths in their life, maybe pulled, pulled from the, from the Bible and the scripture. And, and we're, we're, you know, as an apologist, I mean, maybe it's another show, but we can actually, you know, speak more as to why, in fact, these things are true, why we actually believe these things, because without that, we're in bad shape, Travis, On in terms of what we're using as a baseline to make decisions. Well, we talked about it uh, prior to the show, and it's something that is exposing in a small business, which is when you set up... Um, you know, you've got to set up parameters for, for what, for, for the mountain you're going to die on. You know, for example, there's, there's ways to succeed in business, but frankly, Joe, we're not going to do those things, right? Or there's fundamentals to our business that if we don't do, we won't succeed, right? So what are we saying? We're making truth claims there about our business, right? We're saying there is an absolute truth about the world of small business, right? And if, and, and the farther away we get from acting, not believing, from acting on that on that truth, the less successful our business is going to be. Now, and, and to our previous question, identifying what is actually true about our business, you know, not not being the old blockbuster and going, oh wait a minute, times are changing. We need to identify this is true about our business. Uh, that's that's preeminent. I'll give you an example. Um, in terms of truth, Dan. Well, let me ask you this question first. Does truth in terms of a small business, does that mean that what we do works? Does truth equal a good outcome? No, I wouldn't say. There, there are a lot of uh, factors involved in whatever you do. You can do a lot of things right, but there are factors that may not have been considered. And there again, the more data you have, the better off, of course. 
um, and that's where statistics can be manipulated. But uh, let's here's a good character reference. The better we are at being honest, uh, and what does it mean to be honest? Well, think about this. What does it mean to be an honest businessman, honest business person? It means that you are willing to suffer a little bit at the expense of truth. That's really what being honest means, doesn't it? Uh, that we're willing to suffer at the expense of truth. Well, um, if that's the case, your business is going to head in a right direction. It's going to have some bumps, of course. You're going to have some problems. You're going to have some confessions. Uh, go back to the Netflix uh, blockbuster thing. If they had really been honest about their business, I would think they would have. They probably would have thought things a little differently. But maybe they have. They, we all have biases. I mean, as a Christian apologist, I still have biases. I'd rather hear things that make make my case better. <clears throat> um, but the more honest we add, the, we are the more the closer we get to the actual truth that exists. That's interesting. Let me, let me define. I think, uh, Travis, we we've never. We've never called it the term honest, but I think what we're saying is, because we, we've said this many times on the show, that we, we come on the show not to espouse truth, but, but to try to glean the truth, try to discover the truth. That's great. That's actually honesty. Yes, it is. Honesty is, is your willingness to discover truth. And the difference, this is, that's awesome. And the difference is, in our current culture, we think we can create truth. Um, we can we can equate, let's say, our feelings, what we hope to be true, to the truth itself. Oh, um, and what you've so just dangerous. said, remarkably so, and and well said, is that cr- truth is not created; it's discovered. Let, let, let's actually go further down the road of the feeling thing because we've got some notes on this. I think this is a big deal. I think this can apply to to our, to business owners with their employees, with their customers, with their wives, with their kids, with their life, that if feeling is, if our feelings is our primary way that we are, are listening or we're, that we're evaluating or feedback for our performance, that's dangerous. Because uh, we're, we're ignoring some fundamental truths that we should be looking at. Now, Blockbuster, it's just a great one to use through the show, but, but, but Blockbuster could have shown anyone in the room that our financials would indicate that we're killing it. And we're in, we're in great shape for the future. If you looked at the data from the past, we're in an unbelievable position uh, here with cash. We're a cash cow business. We got our buildings paid for whatever those that data points are. They were probably pretty good. Probably sitting in the boardroom, patting each other on the back about what we've done well over the last 10, 15 years. So where, where in their, their feeling about their performance, did they ignore some fundamental truths? And where are you doing that in your small business? Cause listen, past performance, unfortunately, can be a predictor of future performance, but it is not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. Not even close. We can name, we spoke with my dad, Dan, the man here in the, you know, about Motorola riding the analog cell phone technology all the way to their grave. They had so much heavy investment in it that they could not make the switch to digital. And we can, we can go business after business. And so they ignored some fundamental truths there. And I, and I think if we can, as small business people, realize I used to work for Chick-fil-A and I love what Truett Cathy used to say about his business. Uh, he was the founder. He, he would reject that he was in the, the chicken business. He would reject that. Well, first of all, he, he didn't start in the chicken business. He started with burgers and fries and steaks and steak and eggs and that kind of thing. And chicken didn't come along until 20 years after he started this chicken recipe. He rejected he was in the, in, in the chicken business. He said, we're in the people business. And, and what, I, what I visualized that to mean back when I was a Chick-fil-A operator was this. We got to give the people what they want. 
Well, do you know that Chick-fil-A's today are averaging over $6 million in sales per store, which more than doubles the competition. And it's not because they sell a better piece of chicken. True, Kathy was absolutely right. It's because they've stayed in tune to what the customer actually wants. And what do they want today? Here's what they've proven. They want fast service in a drive-thru where they don't even have to get out of the car. They're running more cars through the drive-thru than ever. And they're building new concepts to run more cars faster through the drive-thru. People don't want to spend time getting their meal. They still want it hot. They still want it to taste good. And they still want those things. But you know, Zaxby's has a great you know, meal if it's prepared correctly. So it's, it's, it's not about that. It's about I can get it fast. I can get it now. I can get it without getting out of my car. And it's still the same good Chick-fil-A with a smile. So when he said I'm, we're in the people business, what he actually meant was we're in the serving our people, the customer, whatever that looks like today. And they've made some great modifications to stay in that people business. Well, that, and that's a pretty good point because what Truett really did in summary is he identified what was true about his business. He did a better job of, of uh, uh, positioning Chick-fil-A with the truth of who the customer was and what they actually wanted. Uh, so it, it gets really easy to get off, you know, uh, you know, like in the food industry, if you, if you read any of this stuff, they're all about... How do we grow? You know, how does McDonald's grow? Why, why does McDonald's end up having some version of a latte, which I don't think of McDonald's of having a you know latte, or even going to the smaller business? Why do they do it? Well, they're trying to grow. That's their idea of growing sales, right? So, Truett's idea was: look, pretty much when you can go to Chick, you go to Chick, you're eating chicken. Now, I will say this: interestingly enough, the Dwarf House and Hateful, the original one, serves the best hamburger I've ever had. That's just as a side note. I mean, it's an <laughs> unbelievable hamburger at Chick Fil A in uh, Hateful, but he realized, you know, the truth of his business, and and he sort of he got there. Dan, you mentioned before the show you've recently had heart surgery, right? Um, I assume you're okay with me telling everybody you've recently yeah, had heart. Sure. You're, it's you're too still, late for asking a, that. You're, you're still here and breathing. Yeah, I had a heart <laughs> ablation maybe three weeks ago. Mm. Three weeks ago. Wow, that's amazing. Well, and that's, that, a heart ablation, that's surgery. No, it's not really. I mean, it is in a sense, but it was the easiest hospital that I've ever been in. And I, I got there at 5.30 in the morning, got home at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. Mm. Wow. So they burned the nerve that's causing the... <laughs> Atrial fibrillation. No big deal. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. They just, they, they, is it a, like a, they do the whole through the yeah, leg. It's like catheter a catheter thing. Type yeah. thing. Yeah. Catheterization. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I've always thought, so I, I've got a stint. I had a heart attack when I was 32 and they put a stint in me. So, similar thing though. I yeah. went to sleep, woke up, didn't know what happened. No yeah. scars. Yeah. Amazing type stuff. But I've always reflected on that. And I've thought, you know, the surgeons much like Truett in terms of the way he saw the chicken business which wasn't the chicken business, is that God is working through these people to identify some truth about the surgery that you just went under, right? So ultimately, the, 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 the author of your surgery, right, in a way, yeah. is God himself, right? Because these guys are exercising on the truth. Um, so in terms of small business, you know, there's a guy, Joe, and, and I really hope that neither one, especially Dan, I really hope Dan doesn't recognize this name because then I'll feel like, my, you brought something to the I, table I, today. I feel like my education, <laughs> which, which right now is coming from Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, dangerous. Dangerous. You're, 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 you're accepting that as the truth? <laughs> Edwards, William Edwards Deming. Does anybody? I know, De, I know Deming. Joe, do you recognize I do know name? Deming. He's a, a Japanese. Did Columbus State teach you about Deming? No, my dad did. Your dad did. I believe that. Yeah, totally. This is your dad's Deming was all inside Motorola. Yeah. So Deming's an American guy that we sent over to Japan, right? And, and so to rebuild Japan, like after the war. And I'll, I've always thought of Deming in terms of Deming was just really bringing the truth of engineering, of modern engineering to Japan. So, you know, last night I'm watching uh, the final round. Which Americans didn't want to listen to, by the way. No, they didn't want to listen to. No, no, for sure. And so what happened for about 40 years after he visited and spent time in Japan and working. And made the best cars in the world. and the Yeah. I mean, the the truth of what he brought over there. uh, So I I guess I say that to say there's some some highlight reels in terms of the world of business 
and, and the idea of truth and, and taking your business and aligning it as close as you can. Now, what Joe and I get into a lot is perhaps there's an unwillingness to do this. <laughs> and so, but, but in order to recognize that there's an unwillingness to do this, you actually have to recognize what's true about your business. Right now, in our business, uh, we're property managers by trade. I don't know if you know that, Dan, but that's what we do. We collect rent. We screen tenants. We uh, manage rental properties for real estate investors. By the way, you can find that at yesirent.com, Joe, if you're interested in looking that up. Uh, but right now, we have something that I feel like is sort of an affront to the truth that's taken place in our industry. And it's actually kind of, I don't want to be too dramatic about it. It's sort of changing our world a little bit, and it's doing it very quietly, which is the eviction moratorium. So, Dan, not, not sure if you're familiar, but Joe, I know you're ultimately very familiar. We can't evict a non-paying tenant. We can now as of July 1st or, of, or August 1st. And it was controversy right up to the last minute. They thought they were well, going to Well, Biden tried to extend it again. Trying to extend it. Yeah. Is that because it? of COVID? Yeah. Supposedly because of Supposedly, COVID. Supposedly, yeah. But what you got to do as a tenant, you don't pay rent. You sign your name to a form. And the judge goes, I'm not going to hear the case. Just stay in the property and don't, and don't pay rent. So, again, not, not so much a question here, but a result is. What is the result of this? Well, fewer people want to own rental properties. And what happens, the first question Joe and I get asked, what happens if the tenant doesn't pay? We'll, we'll, evict, we'll get them out of the house. No, we won't. Right? So, you know, an abuse of, of the truth which, quite frankly, I'm not going to blame Biden. I mean, this, this happened during the Trump watch. This is a political argument, ultimately, in my opinion. But the abuse of the truth creates a polluted environment to do business in. What truth are, was abused there? Well, the truth is, um, if you, uh, kind of a biblical truth, give, give me the, I'll, I'll ask Dan to please support this. Uh, <laughs> even if it's not true, I'll ask Dan to no, support it, which won't. is very hard for Dan to do. But, you know, you don't, uh, you don't work, you don't eat, right? I mean, the, found, the foundation of you signed an agreement, you said you would do something, you didn't do it. So there's a penalty, there's, there's some repercussion. There's sure. a prescribed repercussion. One right now, as we, now again, we've just clipped this date. But, uh, you know, for the last, I don't know, year plus, we have lived in an environment where that truth was called a non-truth. And so the repercussions have been devastating. So uh, no question out of that. But just, again, another example of if you don't align yourself with the truth, you got real consequences. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that the whole eviction idea, I'm sure they had some rationale for doing that it may be they did it was it was it was it was founded in if a bunch of people get evicted and we're during a, we're during a covid you know environment they're going to be in homeless shelters and they're going to spread covid more okay that that was the the premise right behind and this. so that was there an open-ended uh proclamation there that said until covid's done let's say or or it just kept getting extended without right without really a good it, tie back to actual data it became a political football e evidence of what they discussed never revealed itself right it, this was a political play um let me let me have throw this in here uh we because you were talking about this relating relating to small businesses and the idea of truth and honesty most people today or a lot of people today then will say yeah but this is all about your truth is just what you think it is this is this is a conversation stopper that's just what you believe. Of course, I run into that a lot with sure. Christianity and the existence of God and Jesus and the Bible. That's just what you believe. Well, first of all, of course, that's just not true. It's not just what I believe. It may be what I believe, but I believe it because it's true, just like you believe everything you believe because you think it's true. But how do we access? We all have biases. We all have opinions. We all have feelings. And so what some would say is there's no real access to the truth because of that. And I want to say what you're doing right now and what I try to do on Church for Skeptics as well is that we have conversations with people from different viewpoints, different worldviews, different agendas, different feelings, so that that's why God has set us up in this way to discover truth. The truth is what it is. That's what we use words like is, was, will be. Those are truth claims of, the, of themselves. They, they assume that something is actual, real. But accessing that, we can even argue back and forth 
about these things to help discover what those truths are. If there's no conversation, there will be no truth. Boy, no doubt. Now think about that. And in our culture today, that's what's being done. We're trying to stop the conversations because everything you disagree with is hate speech in my view. Right, right, yeah. If if debate, uh, me and Randy have had this conversation quite a bit. If you're in any kind of environment, anywhere, where they are squashing your ability to debate, right? then you're in a cult. Period. You're in a cult. I don't care if you're in a business or a, a, a church or I don't care. If you're not able to challenge what is being taught or what is being said or what somebody believes and that gets squashed. And, and then on top of that, what we see in the political scene, not only is it being squashed, they're throwing daggers the other way at you, punished. calling you squashed all and, kinds of things. Squashed and punished. Then you're you're in a cult, maybe even worse. And you might want to just look back to history for a few decades and see how that works. Yeah. So what what is a cult? I mean, in my view, it's 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 ideology unchallenged. Yeah. You you can't challenge. We have all the answers. Well, well, well that's that that's fundamentally uh, the opposite of what you just said. It's conversation. It's through digging and really a perspective, a global perspective from everywhere you can possibly get information and then starting to put that, you know, in a place where, Hey, there's a weave that actually is starting to resonate itself through all of these conversations. That must be true because it's shown it revealed itself through all these conversations discovered. It's discovered. So one one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show, we did a whole show on it was uh, having a board of directors Right, so as a nonprofit, I assume you have to have a, a board of directors. It, it's true, but we we just think in terms of even if you don't own a small business, we just think in terms of your life. You know that everybody either actually has a board of directors, or they need to seek out uh, a board of directors. And and so for for us, this is kind of the truth gauge. You know, for Joe and I's relationship, kind of started out that way. He kind of recruited me as a board of director. I certainly rejected him. <laughs> Uh, as a as a board of director in my business, uh, but no, we we would we would say, hey, look, you know, when I say this, what do you hear? Right, exactly. You know, let, let me say this out loud to another human, and have their perspective. No, no dog in my with, fight. With, with no judgment. That's right. The fact that you brought it up, yep. it may be wrong or right, what you or the truth or not. There's not judgment in the fact that you're able to bring it to that open environment. Right, 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 right. And the that's where truth that gets revealed. Right, exactly. And the, and the problem is, of course, we're all like this. Somebody that criticizes something that I say, I should not take as a criticism of me personally. Correct. And that happens all the time. Well, it's hard to do. Yeah. The other thing, it's hard to do. And the other thing is the church itself, from my perspective, of course, has done not the greatest job of having conversations. They've, right. they've in the past, have tried to squelch conversations about as much as anybody. Um, what about yeah. the dissenters, you know? Well, the Reformation won the day, of course, in that case. But, you know, before that, it was all squelched. You know, no, no conversation yeah, and, 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 and why do we have all these different, you know, denominations? Because things got squelched and people didn't like it, so they started something different. Yeah. And it, it, uh, it's, it, it's just, it's the danger that we all face in, in small bit. We're all looking to validate what we already believe. Right. What bias was that? Is that the confirmation bias? Confirmation. We're all looking to confirm what we already believe. That's such a dangerous bias. It is. I, uh, I got to ask you, just since I, ha- I have you, and I know time's closing in, and I, I'm not trying to start anything. We got 12 here. minutes. Man. I'm definitely trying to start something. I said I'm not trying to. I want to align myself with the truth. I'm trying to start. No, not really. You don't want to align yourself with the truth? What do you think is the biggest, I, I mean, in terms of the culture we're in now, how, how did we get here? How, how did we get here where... A pastor, uh, you know, if you're if you're a Canadian pastor, you can very well be arrested today if if you're giving a, a the, the wrong type of sermon. Certainly, in other parts of the world, your life is at risk and has been for years in terms of Bible or Bible studies or associating with Christianity in any way. But in terms of America, and and this 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 truth idea, how did we get here? Well, you know, the idea of what we talked about in 1776 and the Declaration and affirming human rights and that's that's a pretty big thing to topple that you know free speech the whole 
first 10 amendments thing, you know, that's a pretty big thing to topple, but it seems that we are about to topple those things. Um, and hopefully not, uh, it doesn't have to happen. Of course. I think the first thing that I would say is human nature has always been and always will be what it is. It is human nature for me as a, as a human being fallen, selfish, uh, person. It's, it's, it's part of my nature to blame somebody else for everything that's wrong in my life. If you go back to the garden of Eden, um, uh, Adam said, Eve did it. Eve said the devil did it. Um, it, we have this nature to blame other people because we don't like to be honest. Um, so there's that. Then culturally, here's what happened. I think, um, this didn't just happen after world war II, but after the, let me go back and this, I'll be my philosophy guy here at the end of, uh, the, the, at the end of the 19th century, about 1899, eight, the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who coined the idea of God being dead, he didn't merely mean that God had lived and then he died. He, that was his artistic way of saying nobody believes in God anymore. But his consequence of that was that he said in the, in the next century there will be, because nobody believes in God, there's no reference point. Everything's going to ap- operate now by feelings, not by actual truth. There's going to be more deaths by violence than ever before. Well, that was a prophecy that came true. In the 20th century, there were more violent deaths uh, than in the 19 centuries preceding it put together. Hmm. And of course, that's technology and population too, but nevertheless, it happened. So what's the reaction to that? What's the horrible reaction to that? The reason, here's, what, here's the reasoning, the logic behind where we are now. The reason that there's so many violent deaths is because people actually believe something to be true. And if you believe something, they call it in postmodern philosophy, they call it the evil of knowledge. Hmm. If you believe something is actually true, you're going to end up bullying and persecuting and doing violence in the end to somebody else, either nation to nation. Um, And so what's the answer to that? Well, the answer to that should be let's let's. The truth is, the biblical truth especially is, don't do that. Love your neighbors yourself. But the, the, the answer for them was, let's have no truth at all. If there's no truth, there's no war. And that's, that's the basic philosophy of postmodernism. And so, because we think that makes it easy, that's what we've embraced as a culture, you know. And so anybody that says anything of import, that they, they think is important, if they like it, uh, it's okay if they don't, then it's hate speech because that's war. That's that's and so postmodern. There is no absolute truth anyway, and so you're just pushing your own agenda, right? And so, um, and of course, that's that's the train wreck. You know, it's here's what the the upshot of that is: that the number one pharmaceutical money maker. We're talking about big business here. This is big business, not small business. The number one money maker is antidepressant drugs. Well, why is that? Well, there are other factors. Maybe there's even evolutionary factors, you know. But I think that the heart of it is they have no reference points. There's nothing they can hang on to. And so they're free-floating about what their life is about, what they should or should not be doing, what their identity is about. They're trying to make it up as they go along and it just does not work. Yeah, we know, and we know just from raising small children that without guardrails and, and guidelines, they're they're lost. Yeah, they they crave having a structure of some kind, which really is a, a, a defining of their worldview. Right. You know, and and so people who don't have any baseline, yeah, that's that's. That kind of is depressing. Even any of us can in our own life go, okay, here's a point in my life where I'm confused in this arena. I'm confused at what I I should be thinking or believing here. Left very long, that actually gets depressing. Oh, yeah. Um, It's like trying to play baseball without sidelines and bases and rules. I'll even bring up, we had a medical analogy, we had a couple analogies I, I got to throw in here, Travis, because we're golfers. And Please. But before we get to the golf, I'll bring in the medical ones. So we're talking about that is that uh, 
rather than facing the truth about what is necessary to move the needle on maybe your pain or maybe, you know, maybe you've hurt your arm and you've got tendonitis. Call it something simple. You've got tendonitis. Tendonitis is an inflammation. Let's say you have it in your shoulder. Rather than stopping the activity first that caused the tendonitis, uh, potentially changing your diet to put to, 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 to not feed the inflammation, which sugars and all that kind of stuff feeds inflammation. There's two or three or four or five things you can do to actually re- to, to, to remove it. We medicate. We go get, we start with ibuprofen. We move to stronger drugs and we medicate the pain. Now, maybe, maybe that's okay for a temporary stint, but we're not doing the other things that are the truth. We've not tried the actual truth measures of how, what got us there to, to, to pull us back. We keep medicating. We medicate further and we continue our activities and we, and, and Travis, we end up, you know, become addicted potentially, maybe even overdosing. That's a good metaphor for what we do in our small business. When we just ignore the truth, we're not trying to reveal the real truth. And the other one is, the golf analogy and, 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 and Travis is really trying to beat me in golf. So he understands this one very well. <laughs> He's struggling at it. And I'm like, Travis, we got a, a member guest coming up and I need your, I need your butt to get better. You got to get better. You got to make putts. You got to act like you're going to make putts. You got to do the work to make, putts. you got to wreck it. Anyway, that 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 aside, that aside, Jay, that, aside know, that aside. Let me let, say this. Let, let me just say, I didn't realize. I appreciate you just letting me know I need to get better. That seems to be a real fix. I appreciate <laughs> you telling me that. Well, let me let me get to the the, the point of this. Why would you shoot a seventy five one day and an eighty five the next day, and and when you shoot the seventy five, you feel like you've you figured it out because you you know you you found some little thing on the internet that said, well, if you just Drop your back foot back back another inch or two that could really release your hips, whatever. And you do it, and you're excited about it, and you shoot 75, and you didn't figure it out. And you do something a little different the next day, and 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 you shoot 85, and then you just keep moving all around it. Maybe because there's not a there's not a a principle based understanding of the actual principles that make the putt go in. Or the golf ball goes straight. You're in fact are relying on your feeling for your performance. <laughs> and you might be ignoring some fundamental truths about what actually makes a putt go in. Go, Travis. Wow. You know, first off, I uh what what feels good generally I would like to be the truth. And <laughs> and ninety nine percent of the time in my life it's absolutely not. I mean a a McDonald's a McDonald's quarter pounder feels really good. The truth is, it's not really good for me, right? So, Gosh. I mean, I I think all these things are true in our business. I mean, we hit. Uh, I think the most poisonous thing in terms of perhaps your spiritual life uh, and perhaps your business life are, are are good results because we tend to look at results. That's why I asked you that question earlier. You know, if I'm getting good results, I must be doing the right thing, right? I mean, I, the, the the truth is I could be in a really good market and I could just be kind of doing really mediocre but getting really good results. Now, as soon as that market changes because I haven't really been doing fundamentally the right thing, my results go to nothing, right? So I think that's true of the golf swing and, and what you're talking about there. Anybody that's played golf, you've uh, inevitably hit a shot that looks just like Tiger Woods. So what does that mean? I must be on, I must be as good as Tiger Woods. Like in that moment I was, you know, but the truth about Tiger Woods, interestingly enough, is he changed his golf swing every few years in pursuit of the perfect golf swing. And a lot of debate about whether or not he actually had the perfect golf swing and, and changed Slight it. modifications. Even today, it looks similar to the old days. Slight modifications. Well, but in, in that world, not slight. Like you, 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 in you the go professional back. World. You go back to the Butch Harmon, nineteen ninety-seven. I just set the record at the Masters, and you go to the most recent before we had the, the putting stroke looks the same. 
I'm just saying the pursuit of perfection, right? Uh, the the so, sometimes the myth that it's in the results. So I think it's a hard thing for the business owner. I think that particular part of this conversation is the most difficult one to swallow because what we're looking for is we're looking for a chart that moves up into the right. We're looking for the biggest profit. We're looking for the highest number. Look, the biggest profit is robbing the bank, right? I mean, it's, it's the least amount of expense to get the money. Let's go rob the bank. So, so that can't be the goal. So that, that's the hard thing, I think, to work backwards from is if I align myself with the truth in all aspects of my business, what does that business look like? Well, including that you're not Tiger Woods. And so if, you, if you're putting your golf swing next to Tiger Woods, the, the best golfer of all time, that, that alone could be a Well, then a 75 is not very good, right? I mean, t- Tiger's not accepting a 75. I mean, you know, we've discussed this many times. Expectations are everything. But expectations are built off what you believe to be true. Your expectations are based off of what you think the truth is. And in closing the show, I'll make a few comments, and I'm going to leave it for Dan and his final thoughts. Did you just close me out of the show by doing this? I, I like well, that. Well, we're, we're, we're deep in. I, we, res- we I respect that. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> I'm going to make a few comments that we both uh, wrote down prior to the show, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, these are questions. These are, these are thoughts. And then Dan's going to close it out here on the big truths of small business. So here's a few thoughts. You're, you're not actually looking for the real truth potentially. Your biases control you. Maybe you need a mirror. Maybe the board of directors is your mirror. You need a board of directors that's willing to actually tell you in conflict what's actually there. Culturally, we believe all things. uh, We believe all kinds of things that are not true. Why? We got social media. The social proof, we call it. The post-truth world is, is the social media. They said it, you believe it. How the facts get construed to prove a point, that's incredible these days. Uh, check facts, guys. Don't just believe what comes through because somebody said it. Are you actually open to the truth? I think it's a real question to ask yourself. Are you open to receiving real data about your business, real data about you as a leader, real data about who you have in your business that's operating your business. Just because you say it or believe it don't make it true. Travis, I'm, I call you out all the time on I, that. I'm sorry, why are you pointing at me right now? Just because you say it. It's pretty aggressive. Doesn't make it true. Just because I say it. <laughs> but, but as a side note, most often it's proven to be true when I say it. And here's a great one that Travis did bring to the table. Uh, C.S. Lewis quote, don't make friends with your sins. Mm. Which means you're making friends with untruths. And then you're operating based on that. I don't, I'm going to leave it right there, Dan, and then let you have the final comments <laughs> on, the, on the show. <laughs> uh, well, I have a final comment, sort of, and I wanted to make it. I want to make it more businesslike, All right? Uh, in in relationship to our current culture, uh, and what's true or not true. I think. And I love, I do love small businesses, by the way. I think it's a, a really good thing. I think it's encouraging to see people be creative and, and work. And the truth is, you know, growing up, I never got a job except that somebody had a small business and they had more money than I did and they could give me a job. So it was a good thing. It's a good for, it's, it's a good thing. There is a, there is an idea circulating, I think, today called equity. And the idea of equity is every result has to be the same. Mm. No matter what effort you put, no matter what talent you have, uh, if you want to do the golf analogy, everybody has to shoot a par. So you might, ha- you know, your handicap, whatever it is, has to be such that you have a, you make par right. uh, on everything. And of course, what happens is you, you lose the game in that point. The other problem, the point with that is there's only so much wealth, there's only so much goodness, if you want to call it that, that's available. There's only, it's like a pie. There's only one pie, and if you don't equally divide that pie, then somebody's going to steal their part from somebody else. If I have a big piece of pie, it's because I stole it from somebody else. But that's not the case with business. It's not the case with wealth. There is no cap to wealth. Wealth can grow. 
Right. Stuff doesn't have to be one little wedge of pie. So people that, that do well in their businesses aren't stealing from somebody else. They can do well in their business too. They can make those adjustments. That's the difference between equality, which everybody has a chance to have, and equity, which means everybody has to have the same result. And I think the problem with equity, of course, in our current culture is uh, it causes us to steal from other people, to make, to make everybody's outcome. Everybody has to make an A. Mm. Everybody has to make an A. Um, and, of course, the result of that is become it more and more, it's just everything becomes meaningless. It becomes valueless because it's all the same. Um, so anyway, that's my final comment. I know that's not a biblical apologist like comment, but uh, I think it's part of the mix for small businesses. Your business can grow. I think we leave it on that one. Thank you for listening to the big truths of small business. We got the truth. We got the truth. We got the truth of small business. We got the truth. We got the truth. We got the big truths of small business. Sponsored by Yes I Rent. Yes I Rent. Yes I Rent. Property management. Place good tents and collect your rent. Maintain your properties and account for it. Truth. We got the truth. Find us at Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere where you get your podcast. Thanks for listening to the big truths of small business.